You're with Julian on the brown note, and why is there war in Ukraine? And why don't we ask the important questions when there are conflicts? As in, what's the real reason for this conflict? The most important conflict. How did we get to the conflict? Never let anyone tell you that you should only focus on the conflict. <clears throat> there is this enormous push when things like the war in Ukraine happen to only focus on what's going on on the ground, but you owe it to what's going on on the ground to ask yourself how we got here so we don't repeat those problems. But there is this push to be in the moment. Look after the refugees. Look after the people that are suffering. Never ask any questions. And I'm seeing more propaganda from the West on this war than I did in the Iraq war. Um, I'm hearing about Russian propaganda, not seeing it anywhere. There is more unified consensus in uh, the reporting of this war than I have seen on just about anything ever. There was much more criticism aimed at the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq in our media than I'm seeing about this one. So why, are we, why is there a war in Afghanistan? At the end of the 1980s, the Soviet Union collapsed. They, could, they had been running shy of America um, on an econ economic level Ironically, due to things like the arms race and the space race, the Soviet Union was bled, bled dry economically. And then we had all these massive changes at the end of the 80s, the collapse of the Soviet Union, all of the satellite countries around from Kazakhstan to Northern Europe, they all became independent countries. This was one of the most important moments in world history, and it was an opportunity for a lasting global peace. And America, Britain and France all agreed with Russia. Russia was offering a, 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 a new peace that would have been lasting. And it was based on one thing. They said, uh, we don't mind Germany be re being reunified, even though Germany had slaughtered millions of uh, Russians and had come up that basically World War I was really about Germany trying to go after Russia before Russia became too big. Um, so they were terrified of Germany and um, they said we can reunify Germany and the only caveat is that we don't want NATO to move one inch closer to Russia. All those satellite countries, there's about 13 of them in, in the uh, eastern side of Europe, uh, uh, have all become NATO countries now. Britain, France and America all agreed that that would never happen. What happened was a military industrial complex of mainly America, um, but also places like the UK, saw one of the most lucrative business offers in history. And that was <coughs> to turn all of those satellite countries into NATO countries. Not for geopolitical reasons, because it would have been a much safer world had that not happened. But because each time one of those countries became a NATO country, they sold it billions in weapons. They had to upgrade all of their militaries to meet NATO's standards and to be compatible with NATO's standards. So they spent the next 20 years selling these people trillions of dollars of weapons. Our lasting global peace was destroyed by the military industrial complex wanting to make money. And then you move forward to around 2008. Ukraine and Belarus are about the last man standing in Eastern Europe that haven't flipped. And um, because uh, Obama realized it was so dangerous, he stopped selling weapons to Ukraine. 
um, because they knew that it would likely lead to Russia invading Ukraine and a potential conflict between America and Russia. But then in 2013, we had this paradigm on the other video about the first one I did about Ukraine. And all these are going to be bite-sized about one issue related to the war. Um, the Around 2013, the EU was pressuring Ukraine to accept billions of dollars in loans like the International Monetary Fund and World Bank do globally, with lots and lots of caveats, giving up your sovereignty, giving up your businesses, changing your economic system. They wouldn't let them raise the minimum wage. They wouldn't let them raise the pension. They wanted them to hike fuel costs 40%. And the president of Ukraine said, get lost. And then he went to Russia, who offered him the same loans, but with a massive reduction in fuel costs, so the West back to coup and overthrew the democratically elected government of Ukraine in 2013-2014. And um, it was a coup, but no one talks about it like it was a coup. It was a democratic elect elected government that was overthrown. The West were very on board, painting it to be freedom fighters. But really, it was all about ensuring that Ukraine gave up a lot for billions in EU loans. And then there was a push to make them uh, a NATO country and to have, you know, we've been pummeling arms in them. Donald Trump started the arms trade back with Ukraine and Biden continued it. And that has led to this. That's why we're at war. This is from one of the most esteemed journalists in the world, Chris Hedges. And it's the best thing I've read about explaining what's happened in Ukraine. Chris Hedges is uh, a multi-decade ex-New York Times journalist, Pulitzer Prize winner, who went off and became a much more polemic activist journalist years and years ago. One of the best in the world, certainly not a lefty either. He's a Presbyterian minister. Chris Hedges. I was in Eastern Europe in 89 reporting on the revolutions that overthrew the ossified communist dictatorships that led to the collapse of the Soviet Union. NATO, with the breakup of the Soviet Empire, became obsolete. Imagine that. NATO was obsolete. Imagine how much money wouldn't be spent on arms. President Gorbachev reached out to Washington in Europe to build a new security pact that would include Russia. Secretary of State James Baker in the Reagan administration, along with the West German Foreign Minister, assured the Soviet leader that if Germany was unified, NATO would not be extended beyond the new borders. The commitment not to expand NATO, also made by Great Britain and France, appeared to herald a new global order. We saw the peace dividend dangle before us, the promise that the massive expenditures on weapons that characterise the Cold War would be converted into expenditures on social programmes and infrastructures that had long been neglected to feed the insatiable appetite of the military. There was a near universal understanding among diplomats and political leaders at the time that any attempt to expand NATO was foolish and unwarranted provocation against Russia that would obliterate the ties and bonds that happily emerged at the end of the Cold War. How naive we were. The war industry didn't intend to shrink its power or profits. It set out almost immediately to recruit former communist bloc countries into the European Union and NATO. Countries that joined NATO, which now include Poland, Hungary, the Czech Republic, Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia, Albania, Croatia, Montenegro and North Macedonia, were forced to reconfigure their militaries, often through hefty loans 
to become compatible with NATO military hardware. So we lend these countries massive billion-dollar loans that they then give back to those countries' private industries. So the taxpayer of America or Europe gives billions to, say, Ukraine in loans. It doesn't go to the taxpayer. The debt does. The money goes back to the American company selling them weapons. It's one of the great global cons, the transferal of taxpayer dollars and debt to private companies selling weapons. There would be no peace dividend. The expansion of NATO swiftly became a multi-billion dollar bonanza for the corporations that have profited from the Cold War. Poland, for example, just agreed to spend $6 billion on M1 Abraham tanks and other US military equipment. If Russia wouldn't acquiesce to again being the enemy, and this is another point, have you not realised that how Russia has now been painted the enemy again? At the end of the Cold War, Russia was the enemy no more, so we had Islamic fundamentalism. Saddam Hussein was the enemy, Afghanistan was the enemy, Osama was the enemy. We created all our new enemies. They're gone. So we've got Russia again. And here we are on the brink of another Cold War, one only the war industry will profit from. As W.H. Jordan wrote, the little children die in the streets. The consequences of pushing NATO up to the borders with Russia, there's now a NATO missile base in Poland, 100 miles from the Russian border, were well known to policymakers, yet they did it anyway. It made no geopolitical sense, but it made commercial sense. War, after all, is a business. It's why we spent two decades in Afghanistan, although there was near universal consensus after a few years of fighting that we had waded into a quagmire we'd never win. In a classified diplomatic cable obtained and released by WikiLeaks, dated Feb 1st, 2008, written from Moscow and addressed to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, NATO, European Union Cooperative, National Security Council, Russia Political Collective, Secretary of Defence, Secretary of State, there was an unequivocal understanding that expanding NATO risked an eventual conflict with Russia, especially over Ukraine. Not only does Russia perceive encirclement by NATO and the efforts to undermine Russia's influence in the region, it also fears unpredictable and uncontrolled consequences that would seriously affect Russian security, the cable read. Experts tell us that Russia is particularly worried that the strong divisions in Ukraine over NATO membership with much of the ethnic Russian community against membership, could lead to a major split involving violence or at worst civil war. Now, when do you hear about the fact that half of Ukraine is pro-Russian and half is pro-Europe, and that uh, this current course of events could have led to civil war inside Ukraine? It's never been mentioned. Russia would have to decide whether to intervene in such a civil war, a decision Russia does not want to face. The, uh, the Dmitry Trenin, Deputy Director of the Carnegie Moscow Center, expressed concern Ukraine was, in the long term, the most potentially destabilizing factor in US-Russian relations. Given the level of emotion and neuralgia triggered by its quest for NATO membership, because membership remained divisive in Ukraine, it created an open for Russian interventionism. Uh, Trenin expressed concern elements within the Russian establishment will be encouraged to meddle stimulating U.S. over-encouragement of opposing uh, political forces and leaving the U.S. and Russia in a confrontation. The Obama administration, not wanting to further inflame tensions with Russia, blocked arms sales to Kiev. But this act of prudence was abandoned by Trump and Biden, 
Weapons for the, from the US and Great Britain are pouring into the Ukraine, part of a $1.5 billion in promised military aid. The equipment includes hundreds of sophisticated javelins and anti-tank weapons, despite repeated protests from Moscow. The US and its NATO allies have no intention of sending troops into Ukraine. Rather, they'll flood the country with weapons, which is what they did in the 2008 Russia-Georgia conflict. The conflict in Ukraine echoes the novel Chronicles of a Death Foretold. In that novel, the, it's acknowledged by the narrator that there had never been a death more foretold, yet no one was willing to stop it. All of us knew who reported from Eastern Europe in 1989 the consequences of provoking Russia, yet few ever raised their voices to halt this madness. The methodological steps towards war took a life of their own, moving us like sleepwalkers towards disaster. Once NATO expanded into Eastern Europe, the Clinton administration promised Moscow that NATO combat troops would not be stationed in Eastern Europe. The defining issue of the NATO-Russia founding act on mutual relations. This promise again turned out to be a lie. Then in 2014, the US backed a coup against Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych, who sought to build an economic alliance with Russia rather than the European Union. Of course, once integrated into the European Union, as seen in the rest of Eastern Europe, the next step is integration into NATO. Russia, spooked by the coup, alarmed at the overtures of the EU and NATO, annexed Crimea, largely Russian, <clears throat> and that led to the death spiral that this conflict becoming unstoppable. The war state needs enemies to sustain itself. When an enemy can't be found, it's manufactured. Putin has become, the words of, in the words of Senator Angus King, the new Hitler, out to grab Ukraine and the rest of Eastern Europe. The full-throated cries for war echoed shamelessly by the press are justified by the draining conflict of historical context. By elevating ourselves as the saviours and whoever we oppose, from Saddam Hussein to Putin as a new Nazi leader. I don't know how this will end up. We must remember, as Putin reminded us, Russia is a nuclear power. We must remember that once you open Pandora's box, it unleashes dark and murderous forces no one can control. The tragedy is that there was never any dispute about the whole, how the war would start. That's Chris Hedges, a very long piece, but a very worthwhile one in how inevitable all of this was. Why was this war? Money from weapons manufacturers selling weapons to Eastern Europe since the early 1990s, even though that would one day lead to war with Russia in Ukraine. Uh, which has been inevitable for a very long time. So we should always ask why.